The information on this podcast is for educational purposes only and does not contain or constitute and should not be interpreted as any form of medical advice or opinion. You should always seek the advice of your healthcare provider about any questions or concerns that you may have. Hello everyone, my name is Juliana Aiken. I'm the host of the Unfiltered podcast and a co-founder of Unfiltered. Today I'm interviewing Stephanie Newberg. She's a licensed psychotherapist working with individuals, couples and families. She has been in practice for more than 25 years, specializing in family and couples therapy, bullying, grief and loss, parenting support and the implications of divorce on children and families. In addition, Stephanie is a trained family and divorce mediator, co-parent counselor and has received intensive training in Sandray play therapy for adolescents and children. This is part two of the mini-series addressing the challenges of co-parenting with a narcissist. Today we continue to focus on concrete solutions to safeguard yourself and your children. Let's get started. Hi Stephanie Newberg, it's so nice to have you here again. Yes, thank you so much for having me again. It's always been a pleasure to be on here and I really um, am happy that I can help people with these very, again, difficult and very complicated issues. Great, and I'm looking forward uh, to this as well again and hearing your insight. And let's start with the first one, which is how can someone co-parenting with a narcissist protect themselves from the emotional toll? And when we are talking about the emotional toll, we are really re referring to the kind of because co-parenting with a narcissist can take a significant emotional toll on co-parents who may feel frustrated, angry or helpless, and they may experience anxiety, depression or other mental health issues as a result of the ongo on ongoing stress and conflict. So yeah, how do you, how can someone who is co-parenting with a narcissist protect themselves from this emotional toll? Yeah, it's actually, a, as you know, an incredibly important and very, you know, very difficult issue to um, be dealing with. I mean, there's a couple of things that come to my mind to that I want people to think about. The first is, is to prepare yourself and to be proactive and to understand that this person is going to do what they can to escalate conflict, to put you down, to make you feel inadequate, to make you feel guilty, to distort things and make it look like it's your fault. And so I think it takes a lot of sort of personal work and personal reflection about just being really getting secure and sure about who you are, reminding yourself of your values, how you are as a parent, what you have done, that, you know, you trying to be above the conflict, you trying to be the best parent you can, being just very clear about who you are and being um, secure in how you're handling things from your end. So when the narcissist that you're dealing with tries to distort things or twist things around or make things look like they're your fault or telling you you've done things that are not true to who you are, you can fall back on just being secure with the decisions you're making, that you're handling things according to your own values, knowing that you're doing the kind of job that you feel proud of and that you feel is consistent with your children so that even if they do try to manipulate your emotions or make you feel bad about yourself or try to induce guilt, you can fall back on being very clear with yourself about how you've handled things and preparing yourself that this might be their response and that um, you can then come back with being you know, sure that you have from your end just to reiterate to them, not escalating the conflict, 
not engaging with them, not getting back into things with them, trying to get out of the power dynamics with them, but just saying, that's not true. That's not my perception. Let's re let's sort of remind each other of what actually happened. Let's go over the facts of what occurred. Um, again, making sure that things are in writing, that you can fall back on things if the written word doesn't always seem to be consistent. Um, I mean, if the the, not the written word, if the if the verbal, you know, discussions between the two of you get changed, you can always go back on the written record. Um, I think it's also important that you hold your ground and that you stay assertive and you stay clear and you defend yourself if you need to, but in a very neutral and calm way and trying not to um, accuse them of anything. Don't call them names back. Don't get emerged back into that. Try really hard to not let them see that they're getting to you, that they're bothering you, that they're upsetting you. Because that's that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to instigate an engagement with you to sort of then prove to themselves that they're better than you. And you don't want to give them that satisfaction. It's like it's also like bullying behavior that they can have. So the more you stay neutral, not engaged, not letting them see that it's bothering you, the more they'll be forced to back down or change their ways or or stop going at you in a certain way. Mm, yeah, thank you. Um, then what do you think? How can someone co-parenting with a narcissist protect themselves and their children from triangulation? And narcissistic individuals may use third parties, such as family members or friends, to communicate with their co-parent or to gather information about their co-parent's life. And this can create a sense of triangulation and mistrust in the co-parenting relationship. I mean, you can only control the other person so much as we know. So you can, you know, very kindly and just succinctly request that they don't talk to other people about the personal issues in the family and with the kids. Um, you can keep making that request in a, in a, you know, in a calm and civil way. But you ultimately can't, as we know, control their behavior and control what they actually do. You can ask people, though, in your family life or in your, you know, in your world who know both of you to just set the boundaries with that other person as well. It makes me uncomfortable when you talk about the other parent. It makes me uncomfortable when you try to bring me into this. I think it's best for you and, you know, and your partner to work it out directly. I'm talking about if they're bringing in other people. Um, so you can really encourage the other people in your life who they could triangulate with to encouraged to set boundaries so that that doesn't happen. But if they're not willing to set boundaries, those other people, because they don't want to get involved at all, then, you know, you can just say to your partner who struggles with the narcissism, you know, look, it's not, it's not helpful. It's not healthy. It's making other people feel uncomfortable. It's, it's creating more chaos for us. It's um, going against a boundary of what our child feels comfortable with. If you have a concern or you have something that's going on, it's much better for you to address it with me directly and not talk to other people about it. Um, if it's happening with your children, then you know you need to stay neutral and, and non-escalating with your child and just say, I'm sorry if dad or mom shared that with you. Um, this is something that should stay between us. I will work with dad or mom to um, address this between the two of us. We want to get you out of this as much as you can. We don't want you to continue to be, you know, um, uh, having contact with or, or getting involved at this level of detail. It's not healthy for you. It's not good for you to know. So you, you can continue to share with the child that you don't want them involved, that you, you know, you're not going to continue to play into and give them more details that, and keep encouraging that child 
or keep telling that child that you are willing to work it out with the parent behind the scenes so they don't have to continue to be involved or put in the middle anymore. And don't say anything negative about the other parent. Just say, you know, this is something that we are going to continue to try to work on and address so that you don't have to be brought into it. Um, that kind of thing. But don't get involved with how could they say that to you or how could they tell you that or even sometimes defending it with other details. Just saying this is between adults. This is between your parents. I'm really hoping that we can get to a better place at some point and that you won't be, um, you know, you won't have access to this in the future. Mm. Oh, yeah, thank you. That was helpful. Then one kind of specific example of triangulation that I have uh, heard of is that, you know, that the person who has narcissistic tendencies tend to create these power imbalances in whatever like conversation or if there's something that, you know, a decision needs to be made. So then they bring up people like, well, I just talked with your mom or I talked with you know, some other authoritative figure and, you know, and they use that they can even lie about what the other person has said or just make things up. But then they are like, in that way, they are trying to coerce you into agreeing with them, doing the decision the way that they want to. But in general, it's just creating this power imbalance that, well, they said this, so we should, you know, do that. And I agree with them as well. So you are just the one creating the problems and resistance here for no reason. So that's kind of triangulating you as well. Um, how can you kind of protect yourself against this, especially if it creates a lot of self-doubt in you, like, and affects your ability to be assertive? Because if you have self-doubt, you are like, it's hard to be assertive because you are, might be mm -hmm. thinking inside, yeah. like, are they, are they, is this kind of true? And should I just, am I being unreasonable here? And yeah, can you talk more about, you know, a specific situation like this? Sure. Um, and, and it's true. I mean, I think that self-doubt that gets brought up is something that really does occur a lot. So I almost would um, recommend that you take some notes, not that you're going to actually use for litigation or to create you know, a trail for attorneys necessarily, but maybe to take notes as they talk so you don't lose track of what they're saying. You can respond to each and every one of the issues when you have a little bit more time to think it through and to get clearer and stronger and more assertive. And to just say to that person, you know, I just want to tell you I disagree or I'm disappointed that you are, you know, making me feel like this is something wrong compared to what other people are saying. Um, I want or I want to think through what you're requesting of me. I want to like look into what you're telling me. If there's somebody else you've, you've turned to as an authority figure or somebody who seems to have more knowledge, um, tell them that you're willing to consider things. You're willing to hear them. You're willing to understand that there's a disconnect or a conflict between the two of you. Don't try not to give them answers in the moment. Try not to just sort of engage and get involved in what you're talking about, the power struggle, the power dynamic. Just say to them, make note, you know, make note for yourself of all the different points they're making so that when you have some time to really think it through, to take some deep breaths, to really reflect on it, to really understand what they're trying to say or do to you, that then you can respond to each point on your own time and when you feel a little bit stronger and clearer and less doubting of the whole situation. And do everything you can just to de-escalate them. Okay, I'm sorry if you feel this way. I'm sorry if you think that I'm the problem. I don't see it that way. I disagree with you. I feel like I have been trying to be cooperative or to take your feelings into account or work with you. Um, I'm going to come back to you in a little bit. Give them some time frame you're willing to come back, whether it be 20 minutes, two hours, another day or two, the weekend, and say, I will respond again to everything that you're requesting. I will think it all over. 
and I will let you know what my thoughts are. Um, so my point is, is to like pause it a little bit, stop it a little bit, give yourself some time to really decide how you want to respond back to it and don't engage and get, you know, into a blow up or a conflict over it in the moment. Just give yourself some space and time to really feel stronger and clearer about how you want to let them know that you don't appreciate something or it's not fair or it's different from what you had said or that they're, you know, bringing other people in. Um, just some time to reflect on that and then just answer their questions directly. Try not to criticize them or tell them what to do or tell them they shouldn't have said anything to anyone because that's going to spur this on more. They're going to feel attacked, more um, cornered, more vulnerable, and then they're going to start to lash out even more. So the more you can just give yourself the time, like I said, and then just respond to each and every issue in a very succinct and clear, non-emotional way that will start to just put them into a place where they won't be able to continue to do this to you forever, that they'll realize that they're not getting anywhere by their actions and their behavior. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, then what do you think, how can someone co-parenting with a narcissist protect themselves and their children from parental alienation? And narcissistic individuals may engage in parental alienation, which involves trying to turn their children against their co-parent. They may criticize or belittle their co-parent in front of their children or try to prevent, prevent their children from spending time with their co-parent. So how can someone protect themselves from, from parental alienation? Yeah, it's a really good question again, and something that is very, very difficult. Um, and we've, we're seeing statistically that these um, issues of parental alienation are actually coming to the courts in a lot um, stronger and, and more common occurrence, you know, in a more common way now than they have before. So it, it does seem to be something that people are participating in at times. Um, I, I think that, you know, what the best thing to do is to really focus on your relationship and bond with your child because at the end of the day no matter how much this child this other parent tries to influence negatively you um the child will ultimately overcome this by having a strong attachment and bond with you so um and if you take the high road and don't get involved in the involving them in the conflict and not ever talking negatively about the other parent and their extended family the children will start to see the truth. They'll start to see what's really occurring. They'll feel like they want to have an alliance with you as well. And they'll, they will fight back against the negative influence if they feel that there's a strong enough connection with you and that you care and that you're taking the high road and that you're doing everything you can to put their needs first. Um, but some of the things you can do to protect yourself is, like I said, keep a very open line of communication. Make sure you're really listening to your child. Make them feel very listen to, spend some really quality time with them, whether it be um, if a younger child, you read to them or you have, um, you know, you play board games or you do special activities that give them a lot of one-on-one -on -one attention. If you um, stay attuned to what they're saying, if you ask them questions, don't ask them questions about the other parent, don't say anything negative about the parent, don't ever insinuate that that other parent is brainwashing them or changing their feelings or influencing them. Stick with just your relationship with your children and that will start to overcome it. Um, but you can also say things to your child if you start to know that there's some parental alienation going on. You can, you can say like minor things. Like, you know, I see when we go to a game together, dad and I, that you only go to dad and not me. Is it possible that we could work on you coming and sitting with me for 10 or 15 minutes as well? 
Don't say, you know, dad's hogging you or taking you away from me or, you know, he's doing something wrong. Just say, is it possible that we could work on a way that you could see both of us or sit with both of us or spend time with both of us? Try to just neutralize the situation, take the child out of the middle and help them see that you really have their best interests at heart. And that will start to shift their feelings. Mm. You know, one that's that's a that's a really good point that you just raised. One kind of specific instance again, what I hear often is that you know you start to hear this parental alienation going on through the child when the child, for example, you know, says to you that, "Hey, Dad said that um, because of you, our family is now broken, and we, you know, we are not anymore living together with Dad or Mom." And then you are like, what, like, what would you advise? Like, what would be the best way to answer a child's questions like this in a way that ensures that you don't, you know, make it worse? Yeah. So, I mean, I think one of the things you you want to say to them is, look, mom and dad both contributed to the breakdown in the marriage and the relationship. It was, you know, we both did things, unfortunately, that led to this to not work out. And that sometimes, unfortunately, love changes or feelings put towards each other by staying married changes and that it can't be reconciled but it has it was a mutual decision it was something we both agreed to we both contributed to the problems and maybe i was the one who had to move out because of a decision we made or that there was certain things that were put into place behind the scenes that led for this for me to take the initiative or for me to have to move but there's nothing to do for my feelings for you and i just want you to know that Marriages break down. It takes a long time for marriage to break down, and it generally requires two people for it not to work out. And so we both, you know, have a contribution to this. It's not one or other of our faults. Even if you don't truly believe that, I think it's incredibly important that the child hears that. It's really important that children, no matter how old they are, do not have a a, a strong target of blame because that can take a really long time to undo. And it's not fair to the relationship with that one parent. And it generally is true, regardless if you can't see it in the moment, there's there's reasons why marriages break down. And it generally is because of two people not making it work. Mm. Okay, yeah. Then what about, um, do you have any like, um, like uh, age specific advice? Because I feel like there's a big difference is there a big difference? Okay, I'm going to ask, is there a big difference when it comes to, you know, this parental alienation and protecting yourself from it when we are talking about, let's say, five-year-old and then 15-year-old or 16 or seven, like they, it's, they are already like teenagers and soon yeah. like young adults. So do you have some age-specific tips or advice? Yeah, no, it's a good question. And it absolutely is true that the age is very dependent on how you're going to handle it. Um I think, you know, when you are working with a younger child, you, time is more on your side, as you can imagine, and you have more of an ability to be flexible. The child has a more ability to be flexible. The child doesn't understand the depth of the complications of the relationship yet either, and they're probably more willing and able to forgive and rebond and reattach. As children get older and more into their teenage years, you know, they developmentally are trying to become more independent. They're trying to find a cause and a reason for this not to work. And they are more susceptible sometimes, especially children with anxiety, are more susceptible to being influenced by one parent over the other. So I think just like the main reason, the main way we encourage parents to work with teens to begin with is 
that, you know, you, you ask a lot of open-ended questions. You don't ask leading questions. You really try to help the team feel like you are putting aside your stuff and your work and your, you know, obligations to really listen and be present to this child, to be willing to hear what their concerns about you are, even if you feel like it's more of an influence than doing, and trying really hard to give them the understanding that you're willing to do anything it takes to improve the relationship, to um, you know rebuild the bond, to reattach to them in a way that they might not have felt, and that um, you know that there are two sides to every story, and that it is important that they don't feel in the middle, and that you're going to do everything from your end to continue to get them out of the middle. And if they have specific questions for you that might be appropriate for you to answer, you're willing to, but still stick with the boundary of mostly not telling them too many details of the divorce or the separation that would be detrimental to them knowing. Um, but I do think like when it comes down to it, the only thing that can really shift and change the parental alienation is just re, you know, making sure you're doing everything you can to bond with this child. Mm, yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Uh, so the parental alienation, uh, it can create a lot of negative feelings. Like you might feel very sad, scared. First of all, that is that, like, is this going to keep going on forever? That our relate my relationship with my child is, uh, such in like in a bad state right now, and I'm just I'm just working towards building it and building it and building it. But like it's slow, and I'm scared that maybe it never will work out. So there's a lot of negative emotions, fear and anxiety about it, and frustration and anger probably towards the person who is trying to you know create this parental alienation situation so the other co-parent with narcissistic tendencies do you have any tips kind of how to not let your own negative emotions and feelings uh affecting that situation or making it worse or that um you know somehow that you can actually then remain collected so that you don't end up making the situation worse or worsening the situation and your bond with your child and kind of just yeah. How do you help people who are like scared that maybe it never mm -hmm. works out? Yeah, no, it, it's a very good question again. And it it is so true. I think it creates a lot of feelings of helplessness and hopelessness and fear and concern and worry that you're never going to have the relationship with your child that you want to. And one of the things that is so important is to always have hope and to understand that, unfortunately, it's not necessarily the most uncommon thing to go through when you're going through a divorce, that Things shift and change. I have seen so many people who have been in litigation for years and horribly high conflict situations get to a better place. Time does heal. It's a cliche, but it's true. Our brains are set up to start to let go of the negative emotions and memories if we're willing to do the work to move forward and to get healthier and to be more positive. It, I think it does require a lot of patience. It requires a lot of support, whether it be a mental health professional or really close friends or family members who are there for you, who can remind you of who you are and how much you're trying. Um, I think it's, you just have to hang in there because also what I have seen a lot, and I've been telling clients about this recently, is that when we get to like the 11th, 12th grade year for kids, they tend to be extremely entrenched in their resistance. They want control in their life. They're very angry. They're very resentful. They're scared themselves. They're worried about, you know, what's going to happen when they get a little, when they get to college or post high school years. And they're just really self-focused and the stress and the 
animosity with the relationship with their parents can get very much more exacerbated and problematic for them. And so a lot of times they put up the resistance more because they feel like it's too stressful for them to engage with the parent that they're not as aligned with. But what generally happens is once children become young adults, whether they go to college or not, but they become independent and they leave home to some degree, they tend to shift. They tend to mature and understand that they have more control over their lives. They start to meet other people who have had even worse situations. They start to put things in perspective more. They start to realize that they are experiencing a loss of that other parent that they've pushed away. And I have seen over and over again that once kids get to about 18, 19, they start to be much more open-minded to things. And they're not under the restrictions of a custody order or under their parents' you know, control. And they start to, on their own, figure out ways to realign with a parent who has worked so hard to continue to be in their life and doing the right thing for them. Again, I always see that work. So that's something I try to also share with people. If they have older teenagers who are just becoming very difficult to parent in the moment and be with. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Um, then what do you think? How can someone co-parenting with the narcissist protect themselves and their children from lack of cooperation? And narcissistic individuals may be unwilling to cooperate or collaborate with their co-parent, which can create barriers to effective co-parenting. And they may refuse to share information or make decisions together or create unnecessary roadblocks to progress. Yeah. So, um, this lack of cooperation is a really big problem. Again, it's part of the power struggles. It's part of their ongoing conflict. It's how they can get entrenched in their polarizations with each other. So one of the things I think is, is to be as present and as problem solving as you can and be willing to give in at times for the sake of the bigger picture or be willing to say, I'll give in this time or I'll you know work with you around this that you're requesting of me. But going forward, I'd like you the next time this occurs or something like this occurs that you work with me. Um, showing them that you're willing to compromise yourself, you're willing to cooperate, you're willing to give in at times against something that you wouldn't necessarily want for the sake of helping them see that for the bigger picture and for the relationship in the long term with their children, it's worth it. But that, you know, you were hoping that the next time something like this arises or something similar or related, that they'll be willing to work with you. Um, I, I do think, though, having boundaries and not getting too involved in too many negotiations is still really an important part of this because that can create more chaos and more confusing and conflicting problems between the two of you. So, again, making sure that all communications about working together are in writing even if, again, it's not for the lawyer's benefit, but just for your own benefit to say, look, let's go back to our email on this date. And we both agreed that I would, you know, cooperate with you around this topic. And you agreed that the next time you'd be open to working with me around that topic or, th or this topic as it sort of evolves over time. So um, I think that's sort of the best way you can do it. But you do have to be willing to also give in for the sake of it. And a lot of people will say to me, well, I give in all the time, but I don't know how true that is. It might feel like you're giving in a lot, but you might not really be giving in as much as you think. Or maybe there's areas going forward that you can feel you feel strongly about that, that person might be willing to work with you around. Um, you know, you can only do so much. But if you, again, don't engage in the conflict, stay calm, don't insert emotions, don't label that person, don't, you know, start to get into a fight with them over it, be willing at times to not you know, pick every battle and figure out where it's worth to, to cooperate with them or not. And then always ask if they'll be willing to work with you going forward around another issue or same one 
that you know reemerges. Mm, yeah, thank you. That's a great point. Um, what do you then think? How can someone co-parenting with a narcissist protect themselves and their children from intimidation? And narcissistic individuals may use intimidation tactics to control or coerce their co-parent. They may threaten, threaten legal action, physical harm, or emotional abuse, which can create a sense of fear or insecurity in the co-parenting relationship. So how to protect yourself and your children from this? Yeah, I mean, again, I think that there there's a lot of similarities because these are all the things that you're pointing out that can happen to people in these kinds of relationships. Um, I, I think, again, you want to you don't want to engage with them and get them into a place where they see that they, quote, are able to bother you or upset you or um, quote get to you. You know, you want to you want to stay strong and set your boundaries and let them know, I don't want to be talked to like this. I don't want to be treated like this. Um, this is not helpful to our situation with our children. It's not good modeling for them to see this. I don't want to be involved in this um, with you. I'm going to de-escalate this. I'm not going to talk to you until you're in a calmer place. I'd like to just communicate about this issue through writing and not talking. Um, and you know, I wouldn't threaten like getting legal or, you know, law enforcement involved, but you can always know, you don't have to say it to them, but you always can know, you have like a backup plan of who do you call and who is there for you to sort of protect your interest and protect you if need be. Um, have that sort of all lined up in your mind about how you're going to do that. But I think just staying assertive, staying clear, not letting them see that it's upsetting you, but just look, there's no reason to talk to me like this. There's no reason to escalate this. I'm willing to, you know, work out some kind of solution with you if we can come up with something. Trying not, people seem to get like really kind of involved and immersed and want to um, sort of prove their point or win their argument. And there is no winning or losing in this context. Um, the only people that lose are the children, of course, and you don't, you're not going to change that person's thinking. So this idea of just having your, you know, your support system and all the people in your life, you know, are there for you to protect you if need be, not threatening it to them, but just staying assertive and tell and giving them another option of how they can talk to you or handle this. So for instance, like you could say, um, when I drop off Johnny today, um, I'll drop him off at the curb as we've agreed. And, um, and if, you know, if we can't be calm or civil, then we might have to think about another transitional place. But I'd prefer for us to stick with what we have and let's see if we can just do it smoothly for our son's sake or something. Um, again, just sticking with the facts, not engaging and staying calm, even if inside it's rattling you, which is very understandable. Mm. Yeah. And again, a specific situation that comes to my mind, like what if they threaten to do something to the child either indirectly or very directly mm -hmm. and it's not in writing or anything like yeah that you could I mean, use yeah um i mean i think you just have to be clear with them that they're you're not gonna you know you're gonna have some accountability for them if they try to hurt your child um they need to know that they can't get away with that, whether that be, you know, you get your lawyer involved, regardless if you have it in writing or you have to call law enforcement. Um, but, you know, you are going to have you do have the responsibility of taking care of your child's safety and welfare. And if you truly feel like this child is at risk or really in a dangerous position, you should work with your lawyer to figure out how to best protect them. And, it, and there's a lot of different options for that. 
um, anything from supervised visits to shifting custody to getting that person to be mandated to get some kind of help, a mental health evaluation, um, you know, a drug and alcohol, hair follicle test, something to like be on top of this stuff and to show them that you're not going to be okay with it. And you're going to have to get other people involved to protect your child. Mm, yeah, thank you. Um, then what do you think? How can someone co-parenting with the narcissist protect themselves and their children from double standards? And narcissistic individuals may have double standards in their expectations or behavior. They may demand certain standards or behavior from their co-parent um, of their Sorry, they may demand certain standards of behavior from their co-parent or their children while disregarding those same standards for themselves. Yeah, um, I mean, you can point it out again in a calm way. You can say, you know, it sounds like, you know, we made this agreement and I'm following it and you're not. Could you please follow it? Because that will help our child tremendously if we're both consistent. Um you can just point it out very specifically and give them an alternative. Like when you do this instead, could you please do that? They don't have to agree or, or even respond to that, but it's worth sometimes just putting it out there and giving them another suggestion. I think you could say, you know, I think it's really important for our child or children for us to be consistent. And this is what we're both, this is what I'm committed to doing. So I'm hoping if, if I'm doing it, you'll do it too. Um, and then I guess, you know, talking either with a mental health professional, like a co-parenting counselor, if you need to, to get, you know, that person to have another forum to be heard and understood what the ramifications are for that behavior. It might also require you to talk to your child or children about your values and what you would like to see them do when they're at your house, even if you can't instill what's going on at the other house. Um, and you can just control their bedtime or how they get their homework done or how things are going for them on a daily basis and, you know, and, and help sort of remediate some of the effects of the inconsistencies at the other person's house when they're with you. Okay. Yeah. Makes sense a lot. So thank you. And I think today we had some great questions again and great, great answers again as well. So I want to thank everyone for listening and thank you, Stephanie Newberg so much for uh, sharing your advice again. It's truly and greatly appreciated. Thank you. Okay, thank you very much. If you have enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review and share the episode with your friends and family. Have a wonderful rest of your day and see you in the next episode.